Thanks. Thank you. Well, don't worry. There will only be one sermon. But I do want to share a little bit um, while I can. And um, I just really, really want to thank God so much and um, all of you here in this region for the last 11 years that we've been here with all of you. And um, when we arrived here, we came from the mission field from Mexico City. And it was funny. Some of the sisters said, your English is really good. (laughs) And um, I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) But um, we came here from Mexico City. Diana was almost 11. She was 10 years old. Elena was eight. And Adrian was three. And he had a thick Mexican accent and didn't speak a word of English. And um, as uh, God has blessed him, he learned English in about two weeks. And try, after he figured out that he couldn't teach Kevin Mead and everyone to speak Spanish, then he decided he would learn English. So, um, you know, time passes really, really quickly. And God has done a lot of, um, he's allowed us all to go through a lot of very, very challenging times together. And he's um, brought us through victorious, all of us. You know, he's allowed us to go through, um, he's also blessed us with a lot of amazing and wonderful things over these 11 years. And I say us, I don't mean our family. I mean all, all of us who have been here together. Amen. And um, I just really, really um, thank God for the some, many of the miracles that I've had the opportunity to see over these 11 years. So many of you have transformed lives and become new people in Christ, become disciples. It's just amazing to see um, people like Big Lou that held out for many years and then get to be able to see him become a disciple and um, beat us to the final goal of going home to heaven. And um, being able to see in 2006 on, uh, I don't remember, in November... Saturday after Thanksgiving, Diana and Elena be baptized into Christ together the same day was an amazing miracle. And in the Neil's swimming pool, which was very, very appropriate, they almost, you know, partially grew up there at the Neil's house. And there were just so many disciples there from all over, you know, many walks of life that we've been through. And that was an amazing thing. And now getting to, um, you know, we will be going to Boston together all six of us, the five people and Mo, our dog, that many of you know. He says he sends his greetings, by the way. And, um, <laughs> um, and we'll all be going together, but we will send the girls back the beginning of September for school. And um, I'm glad you're all happy about that. We're not. <laughs> but we um, are very, very proud of them and very grateful to all of you. So many people have offered to have them live with them, to have, you know, have them stay with you, or you've offered to help feed them and keep an eye on them. Girls, you're going to have many, many eyes on you <laughs> because a lot of people have said, I'll watch out for them and take care of them. And But we're very, um, we feel just great about that because we feel like they're very solid in their faith 
and they have deep friendships, not only with other campus students and with the teens, but also with so many of the adults in the congregation, all their aunts and uncles that are out here. And we're very, very grateful for that. Although we will miss them incredibly, I can't even imagine yet, um, we also know that they'll be in really, really good hands. So that's awesome. And um, I also want to read a verse, which is in, or a few, in Romans chapter 12. (laughs) My husband says, hmm, what's she going to say? Romans chapter 12, and um, I love these verses, and I think they're very appropriate to read to all of you. It says, um, verse 9 through 13, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And um, I've had the opportunity to see so many of you living these verses out in your lives. And um, I also want to encourage all of you to continue doing it and all the more. And to grow in all of the, the blessings that, you know, God has poured out in your lives and how you've served God. I mean, I can't, I won't even start just all the people who have served us and have served our family, but this church in an amazing way. But I just encourage you to continue to grow in all of these blessings, you know, and just loving one another and taking care of one another and discipling one another deeply with genuine love and and being hospitable, as you always are, just to continue to do that even um, more and more and to never stop growing. You know, we're going back to Boston where we were converted. I started studying the Bible when I was 19 years old and I was at Boston College. And I was so shy, I would barely talk to anyone and um, I, you know, was hard-hearted, so it took me till I was a little over 20 <laughs> to become a disciple. And I became a disciple there, and we were there for a number of years. And then when, um, I believe I was 29 when we left Boston. I'm going back 48. So it's been a little while. It's been Elena's lifetime, you know. And so I just really, really hope with all my heart, you know, I've thought about this a lot over these past couple of weeks and I've shared with the Latins some that I really hope after, you know, um, all these years, how many years, 19, almost 19 years that we've been away from Boston, that we don't go back the same people. You know, I really hope that we don't only go back with some gray hair and some wrinkles and a little more tired physically, (laughs) but that we can go back, um, you know, maybe older but better and with more wisdom. And I really hope and pray that the disciples there will feel that, you know, that we are never lacking in zeal, but we have kept our spiritual fervor. And I feel like over the years, you know, God has, we've been through a lot of storms and we've been through a lot of, you know, ups and downs and, and um, we've been trained and taught so many things by other disciples and by God. And I just really pray, um, with all of my heart, you know, that we can go back and bring all of the lessons that we've learned from God over all these years and serve that ministry in a much better, wiser, greater way. And that God will see um, 
great things, you know, that, that many people will see great things done for God. And um, so that's really my desire. And I just wanted to share that with you, you know, that we always, all of us, can keep growing so that when we see each other, you know, over the years, when we see each other next July in San Antonio, Texas, Amen. save your money. I don't want to hear any excuses that well, you couldn't get there. We've known about it for about a year now, and it's coming next year. A great conference in San Antonio for all of the churches all over the world to be invited. But, you know, when we do see each other again, we don't want to be the same people. We want to be better and stronger for God. So um, that's my desire. I pray. I know that we're going to a new chapter in our lives. And actually, you know, there's a lot of challenges ahead. And we're going to learn a lot. I look forward to it. It's a new role, a new um, task, you know, that God has in store for us. And I just love all of you with all my heart. Um, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for serving God and serving us. Thank you for taking care of our kids and our house and our dogs. So many of you, when we would travel a lot, when we worked with Hope Worldwide, and then when we've worked, you know, with Central, um, Central America. Um, thank you for forgiving us and putting up with us because, you know, there's no perfect leaders and you've seen that and um, you've you've loved us and respected us anyway. Thank you for believing in us. And um, I know that you've been praying for us. So many people have told me, you know, we're praying for you. And I said, don't stop. Keep it up. Pray for us. Pray for our son, Adrian, who's going with us and off to, you know, new friends and a new high school and new teen ministry. So pray for all of us. Please keep us in your prayers. And you will be in our prayers. We love you. Um, and they're so grateful for you. God bless you all. And we'll see you in San Antonio at the latest. Also in Diana's senior recital probably in April. <laughs> You're all invited. And um, we'll see you then. Okay. Go ahead and stand up. For a second. Give each other a quick hug. And have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat now. They asked me if I was ready. I got sunglasses just in case I start crying. I got Kleenex for the same reason. And I got water just in case I get choked up. I will also try to keep my uh, thoughts a little bit more avoiding emotions. But we'll see how I go there. It has been an amazing 11 years. You know, I remember uh, moving to the East Region from Mexico City and uh, starting spiritual recovery. And some of you have been at my house, that first house, and at the barn. The old-timers remember the hundred people at the barn. Literally, there were a hundred people at my house in spiritual recovery. So we've gone a long way from there, amen? <laughs> we face quite a bit of crisis. You know, God took us to Orange County for a year, and in His providence, permitted us to come back. And to see um, the faithful troopers... You know, some names I won't mention because I just won't, <laughs> I won't last. But walking in today and hugging Joe Newfield, I thought, wow. Wow. What a friend. What a man. What an honor to have an elder like that.
not by chance that my oldest daughter is going to stay there. Elena's going to stay with the Shirelikis. And also there. What an amazing family. What a faithful man of God. Those two have been such special advisors to me throughout these 11 years. And so it gives me great peace that my treasured possessions stay here with their eyes watching you. So if you're going to date them, you're going to have to go through them first. <laughs> now we go for it, amen? <laughs> oh. You know, the East has been, uh, one of the things I treasure about it is the base it's been for a mission field. You know, Mexico and Central America owes so much to this region. Many don't know you. But you've been the most steady, faithful ministry that has inspired the giving here in this church, that has provided a base for us to go when we've needed to go. A lot of times, they East facing the consequences of that. And I want to tell you how deeply, deeply grateful I am that there are 9,000 disciples in over 30 churches thanks to what you've done faithfully during crises, during good times, during personal challenging times, for the sake of glorifying God. And I want to hold you guys up for that. Amen. Go ahead. You know, there's so many details, but I'll just highlight a couple. Think of the appointments of the deacons. The appointments of the elders. The appointments of the Petersons who wanted to be here, but they, they're, they're away. What a treasure that we've seen God show us His hand working through different people. And that there's been such a base of pillars for the ministry. You know, I think... Uh, one of the greatest gifts God gave us was to have the mantles with us. Honestly, when uh, coming back here, <laughs> I said to Bruce, uh, with whom? Like, I'm not doing this alone. And when he mentioned John and Nancy, I said, let's go. Uh, they, they've been such pillars for each one of us. You know, there are a lot of times behind the scenes kind of people. But boy, they're solid in their marriage and their family and in their insight. You know, I attest to where our family's at so much to their influence in our lives. And I hope each one of us can feel the depth and express the depth of gratitude. I know John wants to be here, but he has to speak somewhere else. We've been blessed in a lot of ways. You know, the East has also been a healing place for a lot of people. Think of the Ortegas who came here. And are now significant leaders in Central America. You know, the Garcias came here, as Peter shared. You know, and they're very gifted people. But they were in a rough place. And praise God that through all the love of this fellowship, we now have new region leaders leading in a powerful way. Amen. I'm sure in that, the lighthouse is not done. But it's just the beginning. I want to talk to you today about um, our journey with God. If you go to Exodus chapter 2.
I'll share uh, about our lives using Moses' life. I'm hoping this you hear more, more than sharing about our lives, God's hand at work. Because my biggest desire in this lesson is that you grab a hold of what is God's journey with you. And that you'll grab a, a, a clear understanding of where am I at in this journey. And that you grab the relationship with God not as a one moment thing but as a journey. Because that's what it is. That you'll grab a hold of him like you've never grabbed before. Like a little kid grabbing a hold of his dad. Saying where are we going? With the trust and confidence that if I'm with you by my hands I can go anywhere. You know you and I are on a spiritual journey. All of us. Whether you've been a disciple or whether you're not, you are on a journey. The challenge is, do we grasp really what's taking place around us? Do we really value the journey that we're on? Before we get started on the lesson, quiero agradecerle a mis hermanos los latinos. Porque me han eh, dado tanto su corazón por tanto tiempo. Eh, valoro muchísimo su amor, su entrega, su fe, el respaldo que hemos sentido. Y quiero que sientan que uh, están mandando ustedes unos embajadores que queremos inspirar ministerios latinos alrededor de Estados Unidos. Amén. Muchísimas gracias por su amor. Our journey with God. You know, every single man, every single woman has a journey with God. If you study Jesus' life, it's really about that. It's about Him trying to proclaim to us what it is like to have a perfect relationship with God. What it is like to be bonded with our Father, our Creator, and understand really what this journey is all about. One of our biggest challenges is that we go through life and we miss what really it's all about. And so we go through and make mistakes and go through different relationships and try to seek out different things. And it's really because we haven't grasped what is this whole thing all about. But once we have a clear setting, once we understand who is really on this journey with us and how we can grab a hold of Him, everything starts falling in place. And my encouragement and my prayer for each one of you, for each one of us, is that we will grasp a hold of the journey that our God wants to have with us. Because it's an amazing journey. It's an incomparable journey. It's one where you look at your life and you go, wow! What you can do, Father. See, for me, 28 years ago, I started this journey. And it's been an amazing ride. And I proclaim a God that is faithful. He's been faithful to my dreams. He's been faithful to, my, to His promises. He's been faithful to His Word. And to me, you're a testament of His faithfulness. I want to talk about His journey and our journey with our God in Exodus chapter 2. Next. Clay, if you'll go to the next slide. You know, in Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses at his birth. And each one of us has a different story, right? You know, we were born in different families, different situations. But I want you to understand that that birth, where your upbringing, where you're at so far, is part of God's journey with you. For some of us, it was a blessed life. For others, it was a challenging life. Whatever you came from is part of what God built for you to start on the journey. You know, in God's journey, I, I put this up there because it's really not our journey. It's His journey. God has a journey already planned out. We tend to go and get distracted on our own journey. But one of our biggest quests is to focus on the journey that He's already established with us. You know, I, I put that, that map up because uh, 
For me, that's where my heart's at. I think of North and South America. I was born in Colombia. At age five, I went to Argentina. At age 11, I went to Puerto Rico. At age 12, I went to Connecticut. At age 13, I went to uh, Chile. At age 14, went back to Connecticut. At age 20, became a disciple in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. From there on out, it's been South Florida, Mexico, Guatemala, Mexico, L.A. It's been a journey. You know what I mean? The last move, I was like, God, I'm done. There's been a lot of moves in, a lot, in these 40-some years. But God has his plan. You know, in part of God's heart, I look at that and I go, that's what his heart's about. It's not about one location or one city or one group of people. It's he's got a big plan, and I'm part of his journey. And in the same way, you are part of his journey. And I hope if, if something you can grasp from our move is the conviction that God says, we're not done. You know, 28 years ago when I became a Christian, it was the pattern that we would go anywhere, do anything, and become whatever God wanted us to be. Because the conviction was, there's a whole world that needs to know about this mighty God that has a heart as big as this earth and way bigger. And one of our challenges as we grow older, as Laura mentioned, is true. We can get settled. And we can think, yeah, let me tell you about the old stories. And we can tell you what we did then. Hey, I'm 48 and we're not done. I'm not done. God's not done. You're not done. We're just beginning. And this journey, grab a hold. Because he's got amazing dreams and plans. And a lot of lives that he wants to change because of you and I. Amen. Go to the next one. His journey. Six points. Wow. Grab a hold of this, huh? Not three. Since the last one, we'll see how long it goes. Hopefully there's no Uticas that fall asleep and die. Because I can't resurrect you. His journey, first of all, you got to grasp a hold of God is preparing you. Whether you're a teenager, 60 years old, or 70 years old, God is preparing you. And what has been going on in your lives... God has been preparing you. You know, you look at life very differently when you look at it with a sense of, He's preparing me. You look at suffering, challenges, with a different light. A lot of times we get so consumed in the moment that we miss, really, the preparation. But if we would only grasp, He's training me, He's developing, we wouldn't miss what He really wants us to do. You know, last night we said uh, goodbye to the zone leaders in the Latins. And there was a great spirit there, and some of them said, you know what, I've really taken advantage of your time with us. There was others that said, you know what, it's too bad that now I grasp really that I should have taken more advantage. My challenge to every single one of us is that we grasp a hold of take advantage of today. Because God is preparing you today, and He needs for you to make the most of this so He can build you to be what He wants you to be. You know, one of my personal dreams is to be an evangelist. I am that. But another personal dream is that I do want to be an elder. I want to be both of them because I think my God wants all the whole pie. But you know what? I realized in this process, hanging out with uh, the elders, there's no shortcut. And you go, oh, geez. You know, when you hang out with the mandals and you see, well, it's not about just raising your kids. You get involved with your grandchildren. You think, oh, my word. This is like for real. It's not 18 years and I'm done. This thing is like forever. And so you better grasp life with a conviction of preparation. Amen? Second, the call. Every single one of us here, if you are here, God is calling you. And He has got a personal call for you. He's got a personal plan. There's way too much work for Him to say, you're no good. 
And we'd buy that. Well, no, yeah, I believe it about them. I believe it about him. But today you got a conviction, gain a conviction that part of this journey is he has a specific call for you. Amen. Third, his view, the view. We look at life from our view. One of the biggest aspects of the journey is when God takes you to certain spots and he tells you, look at a little bit from my view. And wow, life changes when you do that. But it's so important that we grasp that sense of the journey. Then the journey itself. The valuing walking with God and being on this journey. In that journey, you've got to consider who's leading your journey. Because the reality is we tend to lead our own journey. And one of the biggest reasons we mess up is when we go, I'm, I'm, okay, let me take control again. I call those the Ishmaels in life. You know, Ishmael was not supposed to be born. But the reason he was born was Abraham grabbed a hold of his plan and said, I'll do it my way. God had a journey already set. We've got to make sure he leads and we don't take the leadership back. Because, you know, we all said Jesus is Lord and there's a sense, a sense, a time that over time we can go, hey, you know that thing about you being Lord? How about if we share the deal here? And we've got to restore again the conviction that, no, he is Lord and let him take the lead. Amen. And in that today, I want to ask you, of all things... As you see multiple people today taking a step of faith, what's your step? What's your next step? Because this journey, journeys don't happen without taking one step at a time. And so if anything today, grasp from God a specific of what will be the next step. Preparation for his journey. In Exodus chapter 2. In verse 1, if we'll read there, we find Moses, who is getting prepared for a journey. You know that there is not, it's not by chance who you are, where you're born, where you come from. It says, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he, he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and carried it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at the distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her a slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw a baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This is the one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then her sister asked the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, he took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. You know, when each one of us was baptized, I guess we could be called Moses. Because we were drawn out of the water as well. We were drawn out of the water because he had a plan for us. You look at his life and you go, you think that could have happened by chance? That just by chance, they put him in the water. Just by chance. Pharaoh's daughter's bathing. Just by chance, she has a noble heart. Just by chance, 
she calls her sister over. Just by chance, Moses' real mother gets to nurse him. Just by chance, he grows up with both cultures. You think? There's no chance in that. There's a mighty God going, I will work through what's going on in society. I will work through because i got a plan. I will work through because I'm preparing a man that will make a difference in this world. I drew him out of the water. You know, if you've repented and been baptized, you got to think, I've been drawn out of the water. And it wasn't just by chance. And all those circumstances that happened in your life, they got to build your faith to go, wow, God, you're for real. And you want something with this life of mine. It's not by chance. I feel that way. You know, it's not by chance that I grew up who I grew up. I was very blessed in my childhood. You know, most Latinos in, in America not necessarily have the blessings I had. I grew up in South America, but I grew up in the richest parts of town. My father's pretty well to do. I got to see most of the world in, in, in amazing ways. But that was not by chance. I could take that and go, this is for me. And boy, I did. But at some point, you've got to grasp your life and go, why'd you do this, God? Why did you save Mike Mead from that accident? Why'd you save Peter Garcia from that accident? And each one of us has a story that it's important that we grasp, wow, you're preparing me, God. And you're preparing my heart for it to be what you want it to be. It's not by chance. You know, and then he grew up. And when he grew up, even though he grew up around Pharaoh's family, one day his heart led him to his people. And I think God does that with us. There's a certain kind of people, a certain kind of situation that moves your heart. More so than others. For some it's children. For some it's adults. For some it's single mothers. For some it's teenagers. For some it's one particular culture. And you got to go, God, you gave me this. I mean, look at Kelly and Maya. I mean, the woman is convinced she's Latina. <laughs> Multiple times we have to say, honey, look in the mirror. I mean, just. But how does God get a girl from Maryland to meet somebody in Connecticut to marry them and then become a Latina? That's God. But in the same way with you, there's things that God has been doing to prepare you for the journey that he has planned out for you. You know, and when he grew up, he took things upon himself. And that happens to each one of us. When we start growing up, there, there's a tendency, even when we're teenagers, okay, let me try this, let me try that. And at times we mess up in the process of growing up. I find encouragement that Moses, you know what he did? He killed somebody. And after he killed somebody, he tried to hide it. That gives me encouragement to go, wow. If the man that was known as the humblest man, if the man that led God's nation across, outside from slavery, could come from that background, I got hope too. Amen? Amen. And so if you've messed up lately, I want you to grasp hope and going, hey, okay, God's preparing me. But I got to make sure that I learned the lesson from what God's trying to teach me. Amen? 
You know, he went to his own people. And in that process, his heart was getting prepared for his call. Next. You know, in preparing for the journey, I put up there the logo of my university. In Brown University, the logo says, In Deus esperamos, in God we trust. It's kind of a mockery because it's not known for it being like the most godly university, if you know a little bit about universities. It's the most liberal Ivy League college that exists. But you know, I believe that that logo is the reason why I was at that university. It was not to get a biomedical engineering degree, because I, I never used it. Anybody that knows me knows I can't grab a screwdriver even. <laughs> but if anything I got out of that school, it was this. Because it was at that time that I became a Christian. And I was living in Providence and, and church was in Boston. It was a, a different state away. It's not that far. But imagine inviting your friends, let's go to church. Where? Uh, in Boston. That's in another state. Why the heck are we going to do that? But what I learned in that very painful year, some of you guys love college. I hated it. I mean, hated it. It wasn't just a little dislike. I hated it. I felt like a Martian at school as a Christian. Felt I share with these people, they don't understand me. I don't understand them. This is crazy. But boy, what I learned was to walk with God. I learned what Gethsemane's were. Places where I would walk with God. And I believe there was a huge building block that God was doing to my life, to my character. Of preparing me to learn what it is like to trust God. Because I had been so used to trusting my skills, trusting my background, trusting who I was, trusting my pride. And I had to learn, no, there's a much bigger one to trust. And he's trustworthy. And so I ask, have you learned the lesson? Because as he's going to take you on this journey, you've got to learn that lesson deeply. You've got to learn to love to be with God. You've got to really learn that, man, there is no other friend like him. You know, Peter Garcia and I have been together for, I don't know, 17 years. It's crazy how long. Wyndham Shaw, who's a friend I'll go back to, we've been together for 20-some years. And amen for all those friends, but you know what? Some days I need God. That's it. The truth is, every day I need God. That's it. The friends are great and they help when you need them. But boy, if you don't learn to trust God and to bond with Him that you love Him, then this whole thing that we do called church is a mechanism you're going to run dry in. And so I plead with you, in your preparing for the journey that God has for you, even if you've been at the journey a while and this has been a building block you haven't built well, go back and build it well that you decide, God, I'm going to trust you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my family, with all my worries, with all my needs, with all my life. Amen. Amen. And so let's trust God. Preparing in chapter 3, verse 1. You know, after Moses does things his own way, God takes him. And he prepares them. And sometimes God takes you to places and you go, what are we doing here, God? Like, this does not match my skill set. Why am I tending sheep? Moses was tending sheep. You think about training the leader of a nation. And you go, God, like, okay, he went through like the best colleges because he was in Egypt as Pharaoh's, you know, child. But now you take him to sheep training? What's the training all about? You know, sometimes through 
serving sheep, our hearts get transformed in other ways. And if that's the training you're going through, that's okay. It's a good thing. Because you learn that others need you. And that if you're not reliable, it could be souls that are at stake. It's lives that are at stake. Because the reality is if sheep aren't taken care of, they go astray. And they get killed. And the reality of spiritual life is, is the same way. If we're not caring for one another and invested and we're you know, consumed in ourselves, somebody's going to get hurt. And so it's vital that we learn the preparation that God is taking us through. And that we make the most of it instead of get rebellious to it. You know, sometimes the circumstances are not pretty. But during that process, God builds you to where He wants to take you. Preparation. For me, the next one was learning to walk with Him. You know, these are the gates at Brown. They get open one time on the way out, one time on the way in. Once a year. And you're only allowed to walk through them once. Once in, once out. The beauty with God is there's always an open door. You don't have to get a degree. You don't have to have a pedigree. All you got to do is to love to walk with Him. But you got to learn that those doors are the most important doors. You know, some of you know that one of my favorite scriptures is Second Peter. And the reason is because at the end of the scripture, He talks about the open gates of heaven. And us walking through. See, the rest of the year you've got to walk through the side doors. Because the main, main gates are not open. But in heaven, those doors are waiting. And those are the doors I really want to get prepared to enter. You know, Lonnie sent me an email. <laughs> and she made me ball. She talked about Big Lou. And she talked about the day she goes home. And I thought... Oh, Lonnie. But you know what I love? That's where her sights are set on. And I know she'll make it because of that. My challenge to each one of us in this preparation is that we understand that's what's worthwhile. The holy gates and them being open and us walking through them. You know, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 3, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and sit, see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. You know, there's things going in each one of our lives that draw our attention. Is it a burning bush? I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's trouble we get in. And it's trouble enough that you go, man, my life is burning up. And burning up and you go, man, i got to hear what, what, what's calling me. And what you hear here is God's call. Moses, Moses. And all Moses said was, here I am. Wasn't that deep? Wasn't that profound? He just said, here I am. And in the same way, God is calling you. And He calls us multiple times through life. But it's vital there that we grasp and we just simply say, Hey God, here I am. That we don't hide. Abraham, I mean, Adam hid. Remember? 
Adam, where are you? He was hiding. Some of us have been hiding. And it's time that we decide, you know what? It's no more hiding, God. Here I am. What you been doing? Well, I'll tell you the truth what I've been doing. Whatever it is. But then we grasp the call that God is giving us. You know, 28 years, I did feel that call. I mean, the scripture of Matthew 28 of go and make disciples of all nations really stuck in my heart. And so I do think the call here, it's kind of a Bostonian thing, you know, I got to put it up there. There's a call that, as a result, we have a nation. He heard the call. He ran. And he warned a lot. Robert loves this, I know. In the same way you and I. There's a lot of people that need to hear because you hear God's call. So my second point is the call. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And so in verse 10 he says, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, sometime in my life I figured out, that's what I'm here for. I was working as an IBM marketing rep, doing pretty well. One month I had sold three computers, all three over a million dollars, so the commission was really good that year. This was 1980-something, so that's a long time ago. That's a lot of money. The reality is the commission from that last month was the same as my entire salary the next 12 months working for the church. Go figure, huh? Yeah, I'm in it for the money. You know, that same month, a young man called Roberto studied the Bible. And when Roberto became a Christian, three days later, he died. He was found at Harvard at one of the movies, movie theaters, because he worked there. They never figured out why he died, but he died. You know, at the end of that month, I compared the impact of my work and my commissions And the impact of those days, helping Roberto come to Christ. And I tell you what, this call became very clear. What is my life all about? I could repeat my dad's life and become an executive, and and I have nothing against executives. We need a lot of them in God's kingdom. But I definitely felt, as for me, i got to hear this call. Because there's a lot of Robertos throughout the world that will come to Christ because I pour myself in. And so that made clear sense to me about when God says, now go, I'm sending you. He is telling each one of us to go and send us. Amen. And that life is way bigger than you and I. And the things we get so wrapped up. I always think, what if I had been self-consumed that week and said, Roberto, I don't have time. I'm too busy. You don't understand all these customers that are wanting my needs. And man, I'm making a lot of money. I got to use it. I got to spend it. Where would my conscience be had I known I didn't give him the time? And he's dead. And so today, if you're studying the Bible, I want you to be urgent. Not immature, but urgent. Understanding God is calling. He's calling for your salvation, but he's also calling you to help other people. And so he says, now go, I am sending you. You know, that call happened 20-some years ago. But I keep hearing that same call time and time again. At first it was go to, go to Madrid. And so we went. We were supposed to go to Barcelona. We ended up not going. 
Next time it was go to Bogota. So we went, but we ended up in Mexico instead of Bogota. The next time it was go to San Pedro Sula. So we went, but instead of ending up there, we ended up in Guatemala. We got this issue with like, where's, where are we supposed to land? But what I've learned is, I'm called to respond to go. The final address, that's his business. I'm just here to go, okay, you're sending me. You tell me where you want me to serve, and I will serve. Amen. And I challenge you to have the same spirit, because, yeah, to me, that is the spirit of disciples that Christ calls us to be. Amen. In other words, it's his call, and it's his dreams. Go ahead to the next one. You know, Boston's a beautiful city. But it's true. The winters are cold. You know, when I went to the interview, Doug Arthur kept saying, it's really cold. In the winters, it's really cold. By the third, it's really cold. I go, Doug, aren't you supposed to be convincing me? What's up with this? It's his call. It's his dreams. We're just here to respond. You know, when I heard the call to be a missionary, one of the most painful things of that was leaving my parents 19 years ago. And I remember crying and begging God, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but please save them. Please help them. And so one of the most tender things of going back to Boston is that mom and dad are really two hours away. You know, Dad said, you know, I'm really excited for you. But he said, you know what, I'm honestly really excited for me. He said, because your ministry does me a lot of good. And I thought, come on, God, this is going to happen. You know, it took my sister 25 years. So, hey, it takes my parents 28, 29, 30, I'm good. It is a matter of time. And so, it's his dreams, not our dreams. Our call is to change our dreams to be his dreams, not to convince him of our dreams. Next, the view. You know, God took Moses and said, come here, I've got to show you what I've seen. And he takes each one of us, those that have gone on member missionaries, know what this is about. Because at times when we're so wrapped up with our life here, God says, come here. And he opens our heart and opens our eyes and says, this is what I see. You know what you see? Let me show you what I see. And so God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And my prayer for everybody here is that, you know what? The church of Christ is holy ground. The relationships are holy ground. The camps are holy ground. The retreats are holy ground. The relationships and the discipleship opportunities are holy ground. Because he says, where two or more are gathered, I will be with you. Wow. That our Creator is here with us. It's holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, at some point, our view has to stop being our view in comparison to other people. I'm better, I'm worse. I'm better looking, I'm better, worse looking. I'm fatter, I'm thinner. 
You know, I think God goes, would you stop? There's a much bigger view I want you to see. And that's my view. And when we see that we're dealing with God Almighty, there is a humility that comes about. It happened to Peter. It happened to Moses. Where they said, wow, who am I dealing with? You know, my encouragement for each one of us is that we'll grasp who we're dealing with. That this is way beyond the church, way beyond the gathering, way beyond the book. That we're dealing with God Himself. And so then there's a humility that comes about that you go, Okay, God, let me look at life from your view. You know, His view is an amazing view. You know, whenever you got to get up on a plane or get up on a helicopter and you see down. You know, we did the Grand Canyon on a helicopter. It was like, whoa, I feel like a mosquito. I'm going to get swatted and I'm done. And it's very humbling because you realize, wow, we're tiny. We always joke with Adrian because he threw up in the helicopter. Whoa! <laughs> he changed the view, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's important that we look at life from his view and not ours. A little further on on the scripture, he says, the Lord said, no, back up, back up, sir. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. You know, if there's something that really drives my heart, it drove my heart to go in the mission field was knowing, man, there's people of need. There's so, so many people of need. And I have such a selfish tendency that I can wrap things around me. You know, I, I will always remember Barranca del Muerto, a street in Mexico City. Because we'd go from my house to the Garcia's house. And every week we'd go and get discipled. And it was like, ah, I'd come back all, woe is me. Oh, I need to change. Woe is me. You know, wrapped up about myself. But along the way, I would always see this lady, this Indian, that would carry this little baby in her back as she sold gum. And I remember vividly, because even last month when I went back, I drove by that street and I could not stop by talking about it. Because I remember the lady one day with a policeman by her side and the policeman rolling through a bag, moving it. And I remember looking over and going, where's the kid? Because she didn't have anything in the back. She would always carry the baby in the back. And I looked to the floor and I realized that's what the policeman is kicking is the dead baby now. And that just woke me up. Because even as a missionary, I was self-focused. It's kind of ridiculous. You leave everything, you leave your country, you leave your people, and you're still consumed on yourself. And you go, have I really gotten God's view? And boy, that moment just opened my eyes to see, God, this is not about me. It's really not about me. There's so much you want done. And if I would just stop thinking about me, man, I would see the misery of the people. I would hear their crying and I would care about it. And today, if you've been wrapped up around selfishness, my prayer for you is that you will do whatever it takes. Go wherever it, you need to go. You know, living with the orphans when we did Hope uh, Youth Corps, it was good for me. Because I looked at it and I thought, wow, what lives and what life do I have? You know, it helps you to be engaged with other people in their need. Because you start changing your view. That's even why being involved in studies is very good for us. 
Yes, it's good for converting people, but it's also good for us because you realize, wow, you know, married couples, my biggest advice for you, get involved in studying with other married couples. You know why? You come home and go, wow, honey, you're amazing. It's true. But if not, you'll find something with each other. But you got to get his view. Next. You know, his view is pretty amazing. In the first one, there's a bird. And I put that up because going from Boston, we went to Florida. Had one of our hardest years in our lives. But in that process, we learned this is about looking from his view, not ours. This is way beyond human beings because human beings will fail you. But when you look from his view, there's a freedom that comes about you. And I wouldn't mind being a bird. They get to see some amazing things. But they have limitations too. (laughs) You know, there's always in my heart the view of the mission field. And I I know that you don't look at yourself as that. But for me... Somebody that was around when there was no L.A. church. This was a mission field. And so just like Mexico City got deeply in my heart and Guatemala got deeply in my heart. I think of L.A. and I think of you and I think, wow, God. I remember when we prayed for the L.A. church to start. And I think, wow, God, what a privilege to be able to see your view here. You know, but the biggest thing that stirs my heart is when I do grab the view of the needs of the world, physical, emotional, and spiritual. My prayer for you is that in this journey, you'll grab his view and stop looking at our own view. Amen? You know, his view has his will, not our will. His view is about his mission, not our ideas. His view is about souls and needs. And in his view, there's relationships, and you've got to treasure them. In chapter 3, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse uh, 24, huh? verse 14, I can read. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he is. He's it. He's the beginning and the end. But you know, it's amazing that God himself does not define himself just by himself. But that he's humble enough to define himself in a function of relationships. And that's what he does here. He says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. What's he saying? His view is a view of relationships. Some of us built a Christianity that was only let's like a monk. I go pray and that's it. That's not his plan. His plan is a plan of relationships. The whole definition of Jesus and God is about the relationship between each other. In the same way, he's telling us here, I'm a God that loves relationships. And so if I grasp his view, I've got to learn to love relationships more than things. That was a huge lesson for me. Because I tended to use people and love things. But if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, and if you're going to be a God person you got to love people and use things. I wonder today, what's your view? Do you value more the things? You know, we packed up the house. The things are gone. 
and we'll start a new home. But you know, that does not define us. We're going from a five-bedroom home to a three-bedroom, and it's on the second and third floor. The dog is going to have a, what happened? But does that define us? Or will I value more the relationships? You know, what happens to my home, what happens to my car, that's about it, you know? Well, what I, tears my heart is the relationships. Because that's how God built it. Finally, the journey. He continues in relationships. We'll go on. Journey or jitters. You're either on one of the two here. You're either on a journey with God, or you've got the jitters. What do I mean by the jitters? What if? What if this? What if that? The beautiful thing is Moses had them too. Go to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. After God's shown him so much, then Moses says, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and they say, The Lord did what appeared to you? You ever been a what-if person? Bruce Dickens was always this way. Growing up, he was the kid that every time in our homes, what if, what if, what if? And it was like, wow, he could come up with more what-ifs. Praise God, he's grown up to be a man of God. Studying the Bible and, you know, God's building his character and his passion for him. You know, it's okay for a little kid to go, what if, what if, what if, what if? But at some point as adults, we've got to give, give up the what-ifs, you know? And just go on the journey. I think by this point in God's, in, in God's walk with uh, Moses, he was going, all right, all right, all right. And eventually you see it. You read the whole book and you see God goes, that's enough. Okay, I'll give you Aaron. You know what? I, I'm kind of mad at you here. And it, with some of us, you know what? The faith I had 28 years ago has got to be a lot different from the faith today. When God says today, go, i got to go. You know what? You were faithful with me 28 years ago. You were faithful with me when we moved to this place. You were faithful with our children. You've been faithful. You know what? It's time that I trust you. You're in charge. Let's go. But if we're still at the same stage that we were a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, still doing the what-ifs, are we really on a journey or are we stuck with the jitters? And so finally, his lead. Who's leading your life? Who's leading your journey? We're all on a journey. And I know one of the hardest things for a human being is to entrust himself to someone else. For a teenager, one of the hardest things is to say, okay, God, it's your journey, not mine. But it's also for adults. We can grab it back and go, it's about me. In chapter 4, verse 27, the Lord says to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had said to him, and also about the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And so there we see... Moses isn't the leader. 
Aaron isn't the leader. God is the leader. Amen. In the same way here. I've had the joy and the privilege of leading you in different times. And I consider it a treasure. The Garcias are leading now. Amen. But the reality is God is leading this church. Amen. And so that gives us the confidence, the trust to know God is leading the way. I'll go on this journey for as far as he wants me to go because he's trustworthy. He's worthwhile. Amen. And so in closing, I'm just very grateful for the journey we've had together and for those that have been on it with us. It hasn't ended. We'll see each other. You know, part of the reason Adrián is named Adrián is because my best friend in Argentina was called Adrián.